Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. this morning on that a little bit, if I can. Matthew, the first chapter. And I can, without picking up my head, probably read a lot of minds. Oh boy, what is he ministering on this morning? This is a... fun topic most of the time. This is the kind of topic we typically just skip over. And I want to minister this morning. I felt the Lord's direction in this this morning. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas and his brethren and Judas begat Pharaohs and Zaar of Tamar. And Pharaohs begat Ezram. And Ezra begat Aram, and Aram begat Amimadad, and Amimadad begat Nason, and Nason begat Solomon. You know, it would have been easier just to name somebody Tim or Tom or, amen? <laughs> Could have got through this a little bit better. And Solomon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Won't you say with that scripture with me one more time? And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. He was marching in on someone else's territory. He had got himself in a serious mess. I want to minister this morning on there's a miracle in the mess. There's a miracle in the mess. Things in our life may just seem in disarray and all over the place that we have put ourselves into this very day. But there's a miracle in that. God still can work through that. God can still minister in your mind through all that you're into today. Every situation that you are in today, God can still minister in that very situation. Let's lift our hands this morning and pray, Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you for your power, Lord. We thank you for your mercy, God. We ask God today, God, that you minister, Lord, in a mighty way, Lord. We ask God that you would touch our hearts and our minds, Lord. I can't do none of this myself, God, but I ask today, God, that you administer, Lord, in these minds that need you today, Lord God, that you administer and touch, Lord, in a special way, Lord. God, I bind any spirit, God, that would come against us, Lord. God, that would hold us back from where we need to be in you, Lord, to grow in you, Lord. We ask, God, that 
signs and miracles, Lord, would happen in this very place, Lord. That deliverance, Lord God, would come about, Lord. We ask, God, that you administer, God, to the minds in need, Lord God. We ask, God, that you would touch those that need you most today, Lord. God, and you would bless them, Lord, and leave here challenged, Lord. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, look to your neighbor and tell them there's a miracle in your mess. There's a miracle in your mess. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My, uh, my dad was always kind of silly about how things would minister through him a lot of times, and it, it would get us tickled. I, I know um, we had a presentation about two years ago, and dad and now, many others were up here that was talking about how God administered through their lives, and what a great thing that was. And I, I got to hear some stories that I had never heard before out of anybody, much less my dad. Now, my dad would always tell a lot of times on himself through his ministry. You know, he would just, because he wasn't a huge talker at home, but he would, when he ministered, he would just minister through word and things that he's going through. And I remember him up here, and uh, many of you may remember him, but I thought it was quite significant. Matter of fact, today I'm ministering through my dad's Bible, his first Bible we ever had, got in the Holy Ghost. Brother Billy Dyer and Betty Dyer gave it, gave it to him in 1972. And uh, looking forward to God doing some great things through that. Amen. But I remember him as he was talking. He said that they had was struggling for finances and had a hard time, and we had always had a big family, but he had, they had found a place to put us up in and um, to stay at, to live. And very young, I don't even remember this, but it was a neat story, so I thought I'd share it again today. But this house to seem to be such a mess. Now, when I say that, it's going to sound funny because my mom has always took anything that was a dump <laughs> or Maybe look like a barn. It, it it would look like gold when it was in, done inside. It was uh, she uh, she's always been able to do that. But and, and she's a worker. But saying all that, they were this house had had a lot of rats and all that. And like I said, they had battled with money and finances. I mean, it's not like today's time is we can get a credit card and get a pest control guy out. We can pay for that later down the road. No, everybody lived for right now and. My dad done the only thing he knew to do, and that was to pray. <laughs> you know, we, we, we've got away from that in many ways is the prayer life. And, you know, but God moves on the smallest things this morning. And, and we need to understand that whenever we hit our knees, it may not be that credit card that can fix things at that time. It's our, it's our needs many times. I know many times I've prayed for folks that couldn't afford to go to the doctor, but God ministered to them. God healed them and delivered them because God knew their very situation. He knew their mess that they were in. He knew the problems that they were faced with, but God was going to minister through that. And my dad prayed and God began to move and gave him peace about the things that were going on. But he, as he had walked out that morning, my dad never has been an animal person to, by any stretch of imagination at all. We, we didn't ever have a whole lot of cats or dogs around the house at all. But I remember him telling as the story went on that this tomcat walked up as he was walking out of the house. And that old tomcat began to get rid of them cat, rats and mice and everything. See, there was a miracle in the middle of that mess. 
because my dad was brave enough to hit his knees and be able to let God minister through all that. Many times we fail to grasp the significance of, of the genealogy of, in the Bible. Most people skip over that. Many fail to grasp aspect at all. Genealogy was most important to God because of the promises man had made and to the offspring. Genealogy was important because the land inheritance was divided according to the family. Genealogy was the most important because of the offices and the duties of responsibilities that were ordered by God and passed down through generations to generations to come. Today in Israel, the priesthood has been reestablished. Young men have been trained to perform the various duties that God outlined for Moses thousands of years ago. To this very day, because of the records of genealogy, they know who is responsible for what. The genealogies gave people their identity for life, gave them purpose, meaningfulness. It was obvious that the lineage of Jesus Christ is to be established because of prophecies. But there's something that speaks louder to me than genealogy. Something more than records. There has been over 400 years of silence as Brother Boyd was talking about this morning. The very last words of the book of Malachi speak of judgment to come and a prophet. No word, no voice, no move, no communication at all. Now there's a voice. I can't but believe that the very recording of the communication from heaven after 400 years of silence have to be important. That God was about to speak. They had to be weighty and meaningful. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord this morning. Why don't you just take your hands and begin to shake things off of you a little bit. Can we do that? Can we just shake some of this stuff off, this, this stuff? We used to sing a song, praise the Lord. Everybody praise the Lord. Shake off those heavy bands. Lift up holy hands. Let all God's people praise the Lord. Hallelujah. After all, we're talking about the family tree, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the Christ. Watch this. There's three points I want to focus on this morning. The author. Matthew labels himself as Matthew the publican, which none other writers do. Not Chuck Swindoll, not none of these other men that we even read of today had the accounts like Matthew had. Four women are here introduced. Three are introduced by name. Rahab, Ruth, Tamar. The Sheba is introduced by incident of her that had been the wife of Urias. If there are only one woman identified as being part of the ancestry of Jesus Christ, there must be something hidden here. Two of these women were Gentiles by birth, Rahab and Ruth. That is itself is significant because three of them were a blot in the Old Testament, Tamar. In Genesis 38, her father-in-law was a former father of Perez and Pharaoh. Rahab, Joshua's second, was a known practicing harlot. Bathsheba was known as the adulteress. Husband was murdered because of David. What a way to end 400 years of silence. As it verified to be established, as the very outset, the unsearchable riches of grace, which could not only fetch in them that are far off, but cheats down even to the publicans and the harlots, raise them to sit as princesses 
of his people. But there's something more here that goes beyond publicans and harlots. Blatantly, plainly, in the opening pages of the New Testament, the writer declares for all to see the horrible accounts of David's failure. That thing that no one wanted to talk about. We don't hear this priest a whole lot. That part of life that we, we should shun, that horrible episode that we don't want to remember. And David the king begat Solomon, her, and had been the wife of Urias. We want to read about the bear and the lion. Oh, that's cool. That's cool, man. That guy just gets in there. Where's my young guys at? I mean, he just goes after them bears. He's unbelievable. We want to read about the rescue of the little lambs. We want to read about the giant, how David had took him down. We want to read about the man after God's own heart. But instead, we are forced to read about David's carnality, humility, and frailty. Instead, we are forced to read about his failure. You would think that these obvious embarrassing characteristics would never be listed in the lineage of Christ. But all, just like Christ, we all got a few nuts in our tree. And everybody say amen. But here they are in the opening chapters of the New Testament, God's new covenant, publicans, harlots, the one that are righteous people above, avoid contact with, the ones that are considered scrooges, of the society, the ones that are considered vile and unrighteous, the filthy ones, the ones that our holy people don't want to talk about, the ones that some of us don't even want to invite to church because they got so much baggage on them, the ones that seem to just kind of shun away and we won't rescue them because they had, you know, you know about them. You know about who they are. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to tell what kind of person that person is. The flesh of judgment in our own very minds stops from the very faith in our hearts to be able to reach those that are in that place when God can change anybody. God can change the very one that we don't think can change. God can take the very ones that nobody wants and make them somebody that God wants and every church wants. We're lucky in this very place that some of us came from generation to generation. I'm a lucky man that my dad was able to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. It made life a lot easier for me. But there's some of us in here that was not raised in this great truth. There's some of us that came right off the bar stool. There's some of us that God just kind of shook us when the worst things in life could ever happen in us. God shook us at that very point. I, last week as we ministered in the prison system, I was preaching and a man had came up to me afterwards and he said, man, I've been praying. He had he just got trans, moved over, transferred from where he was at. 
So I've been praying. I need, I need a oneness church. I need a oneness church. I need, I need somebody believing in baptizing Jesus name. And you know, I've been, I've been in this prison. I've been witness this other prison witnessing to wait for somebody to come and no one's ever came yet. They, they transferred me. I've been witnessing this man wants, he's been preaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ to these men. These other men want to be baptized in this other prison. He asked Toby, he said, you think we can make a way for that to happen? Of course we can make a way for that to happen. But this man sitting here, and I, I, he said, I have sit in my cell where I was at. And I felt like I was looking at an ocean. And I felt like boats, big boats were just coming by, being the glory of God in those very boats. And I kept praying, God, I want to reach that place. But this span right here from where I'm at to where they're at is too far. I need you to do something. God opened up the very door. And put him in that service last week. He was able to help stir the spirit where we were at. Four men got the Holy Ghost, that very service. I don't know if it was because his faith, but God was in the very place. It weren't my job to ask why he was where he was at. It wasn't my job to find out what got him there to that very point? All I know is Jesus Christ gave him the revelation of who he was, that light, that shining light in his life. And was able to get to the very place to where he was at last week. Here they are as the plain as nose on your face. You can cannot deny it. To believe the Bible is God's holy word. How many believes that this morning? And then the bombshell comes. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. There is no doubt our beloved David twice he is called David the king. We want to read of his glory, not his sin. We want to read of his victories and not his failures. Such as some of us. But I'm going to tell you, I've reached a lot more people by letting people know how God has delivered me from where I was at to where I'm at today. I'm not near where I need to be today. He has brought me a long, long ways. But when people walk in this place, I never want them to see me as a high and mighty person. I want them to be able to see that God uses that man, but it's because he is thankful for where God has brought him from to where he is today. You may not like it, but it's the truth. Let me tell you why the New Testament is literally God's word. New covenant with humanity. In the open pages of the genealogy, he is reaffirming more than a promised land and responsibility. He is reaffirming more than natural and physical promises. He is establishing spiritual promises. Promises that go beyond the law of the Old Testament. He is establishing promises of grace. Thank God for grace. 
Thank God for grace. Thank God for hope. He was establishing hope. He was establishing mercy. What a merciful, loving God that we have today. We would not be here if he wasn't merciful to us and loving to our all of us. You need to grasp on to what I'm saying. My good friend, Brother Campbell, and I, I'm not saying this because Kenzie was here, but when he came into the church, we'd go fishing. Jason Campbell loves to fish. Brother Jason Campbell loves to fish. And my mom, boy, he, she was our Sunday school teacher. And she, be, she would just teach what the Bible would say. I mean, we didn't have all these fancy Bible studies then. You, you know, it's just you, you actually had to pray for a Sunday school lesson back then. And my mom would, my mom would begin to teach, and, you know, he, he was funny because, you know, he was a college student at about the same time, so he had a lot of questions. And most of them was, why can't I? Why can't I? Why can't I? Now, my mom, all she knew was to pray, to pray basically about the whole thing. And, it's, and, and her answer was, because the Bible says so. <laughs> and we'd go off fishing, and he would just ask me a hundred questions. I mean, he was interested in everything. And as, as he began to learn more, it never came by any answer that we ever gave. It came by him learning how to pray. He began to let God move and minister in him. It was never a spatula moment where you suck your hands out and say, you can't do this, you can't do this. I remember one time we, were, uh, we got to playing basketball and having a good time, you know, just having fun, just trying to find some fun. We began to play basketball, and we would got, we got to meet up with some guys, and we would go to Pizza Hut. And uh, back then, they preached against bowling alleys. And uh, we would we wanted to go to the bowling alley just to hang out with the guys. You know, we weren't drinkers or nothing like that. We were actually trying to witness to these men. And uh, <laughs> I remember him saying, Brother Gibson, why can't we go to – the bowling alley, they and Dad was like, "Well, they serve alcohol there. It's not just a good place for a bunch of young people to be, you know." And it was a little bit more understanding. It was a place back then, basically, where they wanted a lot of family atmosphere. That's where everybody did drinking hoopla there, you know. And Brother Campbell's quite very quick word to him was, "Well, they drink beer at Pizza Hut." And my dad, quick wit, said, well, don't go to Pizza Hut no more. (laughs) He was very prophetic in those things. (laughs) But we must understand both of these were premeditated acts. They were not committed in the moment of uncontrollable emotions. They were planned long before they were committed. They were not even an accident. They were not acts of arrogance or ignorance. David, the chosen one of Israel, the shepherd king, the psalmist, the man after God's own heart, he is no longer the encourager. Now he is the trespasser. 
He is no longer the man of praise. He is the predator. Now he is no longer the heart player. Now he is known as the hypocrite. And all of Israel knew it, yet David attempts to hide the facts behind his position for over a year. He uses God's blessings to cover up his very sin. Ain't that just like us when we fell? We come in here, we just, you know, God's mercy, God's grace. And I believe in that. Praise God. And we sing, we participate, we smile in acts of God's ignorance that we believe he is. There was the sacrifice of offerings. There were no sacrifice of offerings for sins of ignorance and sins committed by the heat of anger, but not premeditated acts. There was no sacrifice for adultery or murder. Both were punishable by death. And no one knew that better than David. It took a prophet to bring him to his senses. Thou art the man. He would never, never, never come to God unless his own. But watch the beauty of a loving Savior. 2 Samuel 12 and 13 says this, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. The moment David gets honest with God, God speaks mercy Grace and promise. David didn't have to grovel. David didn't have to beg and plead. All David had to do was get honest with God. He had to get honest to where he was in life. He had to put himself on that very place of saying, God, I have sinned. It is me. It is me that has done this. It is me that put myself here. And here in the opening verses of the New Testament, after 400 years of silence, God speaks. He declares that he, can't take, he can take the darkest, most tragic act of human failure. And from it, he can produce a breathtaking, glorious life of beauty and success. And David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. The Bible declares that Solomon was the wisest man ever to live. That he ruled over 40 years. 40 years of peace and unprecedented prosperity. The nation of Israel flourished as never before. Never went to war. The queen of Sheba, the half, has never been told. I'm talking about the miracle in the midst today. It's in your mess. There's a miracle there today. I'm talking about allowing God's word to birth hope into your situation of hopelessness. I'm talking about allowing God's word to birth faith. You, that is nothing is impossible to please God. And nothing is impossible for God today. But listen to Samuel in the verse 20. Fear not, you have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn after vain things which cannot profit to save. For they are vain. There are too many people today that have been lost because they gave up too soon. They gave up on the grace of God. I'm here to tell you that grace of God is big today. It's big as there's not contained in this very building. The very grace of God is in this place today. 
just because they thought the guilt is simply too heavy to carry from Jesus. There's nothing too big for our God. Nothing too big. Romans 5 and 20 says, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Listen to what Samuel says once again about being disobedient, but repentant Israelites. Do not fear, for the Lord will not cast away his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. The basics of God's grace is love that he has for his own name. The ground of mercy is his unwavering commitment to preserve and display his glory. When we repent, we should have no fear. When we get honest with God, the rope of fear should hit end right there. Because God's promises become great. They began to work. His mercy begins to overflow. Let me tell you, your sin is not too dark. Your failure is not too great. Your situation is not too hopeless. Your past is not too powerful. There's no impossibilities with God. When you wreck a car, you have two choices. You take it to the junkyard or you take it to the body shop. A junkyard takes it apart piece by piece and sells it to someone else. A body shop pulls it apart and begins to rebuild it. The world and a lot of places are junkyards, as we know. But the church is a place of restoration If you are in a mess, please allow me to show you what to do. Watch this. In Genesis 1, creation is in a mess. Dark and empty and hopeless. Adam is in a mess. He has done the one thing God told him not to do. In Genesis 28, Jacob is in a mess. He lied to deceive his dad and running from his consequences. Exodus 3 says Moses is in a mess. The nation of Israel is in a mess. John 4 says the Samaritan woman is a mess. Marriage is living with another guy. Luke 15 says the prodigal is in a mess. I wish someone would be honest with yourself today and say I am in a mess. Mark 5 says, and a man is possessed by legions of demons in a mess, naked and crazy. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Can we all stand? So I want to ask you this morning, what kind of mess are you in? Is it your marriage? Is it your family? Your children? Your future? Your tomorrow? There's only one way we can change this situation. There's only one way we can change our circumstances. Change what we are dealing with this morning. Change what I'm going through. 
I said it before, the world is big on reformation. God is big on transformation. Reformations reform, change what I am doing. Transformation changes, changes what I am. Alcoholics Anonymous, Drug Anonymous says, change what we do, not what we are. We need to change who we are. We need to get honest with God. Psalms 51 and 1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy love and kindness, according to my multitude of the tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou dearest truth in inward parts and in thy hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Renew a right spirit within me. I wonder across this crowd can we lift our hands. And begin again to cry out, create in me, oh God. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.